Morning, church. I love this place. You guys are great. It's so good to see each one of you here. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis. Um, if you've always, if you've been a person that sweats when the pastor says, turn to Lamentations, whatever, you're like, I've no clue where that is. And so you're just like, I forgot my Bible. It's, or whatever. This is the best week for you because we're actually literally going to the first page of your Bible. So you could, you you could find page one. Go there, and that's where we're going to be. Um, we're in a series called Better Together, and through this series, we've gone through our mission statement. Why is it that we do church the way that we do it? Why do we believe what we believe in, in, in action and in practical, how we flesh that out? We talked about being a community of Christ followers who are committed to being real with God, and, and we went through that and what that means, and so take a look at that if you haven't um, had a chance to. We've got all those sermons online, uh, but uh, then we jumped into being real with each other, and now we're in the final chapter, which is being real in the world, and this is the mission. This is the mission of our church, um, the ultimate mission, and you, you've picked up on this probably, that the mission is, is not just to get here. That's part of the mission, to gather and then to get into community where we have face-to-face interactions and then to launch out into the world and have an authentic relationship with the world. And so for this final chapter, we're going to be going through these three things. This week, we're going through the location of the mission, then we're going to be going through the funding of the mission, and then the message of the mission, and going through each of those threes as we finish this out. And honestly, there's going to be, this is just kind of a massive directional arrow going towards Easter. Um, this all is leading somewhere, and it's leading t- to a very sincere, especially when we get to the end there, the message of the mission to talk about what is that, then what do we do with all this? And, and what are the actual practical steps as we get into that? So that's going to be uh, coming up. But right now, we're, let's go ahead and jump into, just regarding the location of our mission, we're going to be going to the book of Genesis. And we're only going to be looking at two verses. That's all that we're studying today is two verses, but they're imperative to understanding the location of our mission. Um, and we're going to take a look first off at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. All right, pause real quick. What in the world? I mean, I thought that God was one God. I didn't think there was like lots of different gods. Scripture is pretty clear that God is one. Who is this us? Who is this our image that God is talking about here? Because I mean, like it it could be the angels because the angels are around, but were we created in in the angel's image? Are Are we created in the angelic image? Some of you maybe, but not, I mean, honestly, that's not, scripturally, we are not created in the image of angels, we're created in the image of God. And so this is the first time we see in scripture the triunity of God displayed, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the diversity of God, three in one. The first time we see it is before you even leave the first page of scripture when he says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So you have this three persons, one God, the unity within who God is, and he's saying that we're going to create mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, why, why, is, why, why are we created in God's image? So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, jump on over to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's it. That's all we're studying today, those two verses. Um, Because what those two verses have incredible insight into is what we do for living, what we do for a job, what our, our role in life is, our vocation. 
All right, so I just need to pull the crowd here. I just need to know some of the vocations displayed here in this room. So just go ahead and if you could raise your hand, I'll call on you what your vocation is. Someone, does anyone here work? Yes. Teacher, okay, Rob. Restaurant owner, Serena. Nanny. Housewife. Teacher. Secretary. Nate. Super... <laughs> I'm not even going to, I'm just going to let that lie. Okay, anyone else? Yes. Massage therapist. Safety, safety professional. I want to know what that really means, okay? <laughs> safety, pro- okay, so basically, yeah, okay, last one, Jim. Uh, carpenter, okay. So basically, we've got like the village people on display right here as far as all these different roles that, 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 that's what you guys have all pulled in here. And all those things, we would call those our vocation, whether it's a housewife or it's a safety professional or it's a, you know, wh- whatever, a restaurant owner. We have vocation. Student, you're a junior high school student, that is your vocation. Because the most important thing we need to know about vocation is that it comes from the Latin word vocare, which means calling. That means that it's more than your work, it's more than what you're getting paid to do. It, it's, it's your, vo- your vocation is actually your calling. And the cool thing is that your vocation is not just totally hardwired to the place of work that you have. Your vocation, biblically speaking, Genesis speaking, is actually wherever you drop a pin. You drop a pin and that's where you are, that's where, where your vocation is. Wherever you are, you have a calling. And wherever you, the location of your vocation is right where you are. Because right where you are, you're surrounded by a bunch of people that God cares about. You're surrounded by a bunch of people, every single one of us. We have, we're in a world that is surrounded by people who don't know him. And so your vocation, your calling is more than mere chance, is more than mere just being hired. You were placed with a purpose. And if you move, that purpose is follows you. Wherever you are, you have vocation. And we see the Hebrew in this passage, you know, surfacing that. In chapter 1, verse 26, in that first verse that we looked at, the word for rule is radah, which is responsibility over. And God's talking about the, the, the humanity's responsibility over the creation around them. God's saying, you didn't create this. You didn't create the trees and the animals and everything else, but you have a responsibility over them. And, and actually, in 2.15, it, it, it gets more explicit with what the responsibility is, is to work this environment. To, and that literally means to dress it or to labor for it. And, and, and in other words, God's like, I created something perfect. This is before sin has entered the world. This is before the fall. And yet God is saying, I want you to nurture this environment, to take the way it is and make it better. God, God in perfection, he's still calling humanity to follow his lead, and, say, and he's saying, I created you in my image so that you actually are engaging creation and creating yourself. You have avad. You have work to, to, to take it and labor for it. And then he gets even, even uh, he takes it to the next level in the next phrase of take care of, which means from the word shamar, to keep watch over, to save, or to protect. Whatever role you have, you're an advocate for it. You're doing it to the best of your ability with all that you got. This is your vocation. This is your calling. And if I asked you what's a sacred calling, and if you, get, if you told me pastor, you would be wrong. 
Because pastor is one of many sacred callings. There's a bunch of other sacred callings out there. Restaurant owner, safety professional, stay-at-home mom. These are callings that are sacred. We've done this trippy thing in our society of of having secular over here and, and, and sacred over here. To Adam, what was the secular calling that he had versus the sacred? There was no division. It was all one. His calling was from God. And if if we take a look at what Andy Stanley said, I love this. He says, when Christ purchased you at Calvary, he purchased all of you, body, soul, and spirit. There is no division. You are to glorify God through your actions, regardless of where they take place and what role you are in that time, in time. You are to glorify God as a spouse, parent, friend, employee, boss, and citizen. And I love this line. Just sink your teeth into this. What you do at the office then is no more or less spiritual than what you do at church or at home. What you do at the office then is no more or less spiritual than what you do at church or at home. So when you come here, this is, this is awesome. You guys are, you know, you're experiencing God's calling on you being here. That's wonderful. But it doesn't stop when you leave these doors. It continues it flows out of. It, it's, it's enhanced by this experience, but this is not the sum total of your experience. In fact, your vocation is the trajectory that everything that we're about leads to. God has placed you strategically within your calling for a purpose. So how do we flesh that out? How do we live out that, that which we see in Genesis as our responsibility to take care of and, and nurture and advocate for the calling that we have and that we're living out right now. Here's three ways that we can actually do that. We can live out our calling wherever we are by, number one, knowing that your ultimate identity is not rooted in the calling itself, but rather the caller. Your identity is not rooted in your job. Your identity is rooted in the one who's called you into that job, which is God. That's your, 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 if, if, Work means, honestly, work means nothing if your ultimate identity is rooted in work. It's not. Christ is your ultimate identity. And this is what we oftentimes do. We tell kids, and we've talked about this before here, but we tell kids, we have this question that we ask every kid in elementary school about their future. What's that question? Yeah. Isn't that messed up? How dare we? <laughs> what do you want to be? Because once you get into that job, that's who you are. Your identity is that. That is who you be. (laughs) That's not who you are. That's what you do. But we don't ask kids that. What do you want to do? What do you think you should do when you get older? We ask them, what do you want to be? And all of a sudden, from an early age on, we're conditioned with the reality that whatever we do is our identity. And our identity rises and falls on this thing, this occupation, this vocation. And that's not true. The truth is, is that who we are is who we are in Christ. When we hardwire our identity to our job, this is what happens. And almost every one of us has done this. And if you're a high school student or a junior high school student, you may have done this with your grades or your schoolwork or whatever else. But what we do is when we hardwire our identity with our vocation, whether it's a student or a cement layer, what we end up doing is this. When things are going good at work, when the paycheck is good, when we get accolades or promotions or nods or high fives about how we're doing, when the grades come back great and mom and dad aren't grounding us, when when all those things are happening, we feel awesome because our identity 
has been stroked. Our identity has been like praised. And we're like, yeah, we're the best person to hang around when that happens. Like we, we, you want to go out to eat with us at, at those times because we're stoked. We're, life, life is awesome when things are going good, when our identity is hardwired to our vocation. But when our, heart, when our identity is hardwired to our vocation, when things go bad, and they always do, the grades end up not what we wanted them to be. We don't get the promotion. We get laid off. We get fired. We get a bad review. Our world is devastated. We feel worthless. We feel like, what's the point of going on? Maybe I shouldn't even be doing this job. This is just stupid. Why am I even doing this? And we feel that way because that was our identity. And we were just informed our identity stinks. Therefore, we stink. See, but the truth is, is that Adam never saw his calling as his identity. His identity was rooted in the caller, the creator himself. And if you're in Christ, that is where your identity is rooted, which means that regardless of what's happened in the past, in 2017, if things are going well right now in your job, like, man, you know, honestly, this, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm either like flatlining, but no one's noticing, or I'm doing great. In 2017, if, if something goes south as far as your work, your work closes up, business isn't good enough, you get laid off, you get a poor review, you get fired for something that you did where you failed, you're going to be okay. If your identity is rooted in Christ, then you know that that all can happen and it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't end you because that wasn't your ultimate reality in the first place. Amen? And the cool thing too is this, we're able to also know this. We're also able to see that our place is, we are able to see that our place of work as broken but valuable and yourself as broken but useful. Um, whether it's your job or your marriage or your school or whatever else, you, you may... If we actually sat here and we said, okay, let's just complain. Let's just spend some time complaining about our workplace, okay? And I would have the staff leave the room. And then we all would just like, just complain about our workplace, right? And we just like, we could just like, oh, I can't stand this. Or I can't stand this guy. He just drives me crazy. Or if you're married, like this person that I'm married to, you don't understand. And like, we could go through that and do that all. But here's the thing. No matter how bad you think your work is, it's worse. It's worse than you could possibly know. Because all you're doing is, let's say you're 40 years old, you're looking at your workplace with only the perspective of a 40-year-old, and that's incomplete. Your workplace, as bad as it is, is far worse than you could possibly imagine from an internal standpoint, from a divine standpoint. But guess what? Simultaneously, it's far more valuable than you could ever imagine. Your workplace, the people there, are far more valuable than you can ever imagine. And even yourself, I mean, a lot of times we are our worst critics. Like even if you're a defensive person where you're always defending, 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 internally we beat ourselves up nonstop, right? But as bad as you critique yourself, as bad as you beat yourself up, guess what? You're far worse than you could possibly imagine. And yet, simultaneously, more valuable than you could ever hope to believe. The truth is, is that your workplace is so valuable, it's broken, but it's valuable to God. And you are broken, but you're incredibly useful. No matter how much you believe, I have nothing to add here. I have nothing to bring 
God has placed you there and you are more valuable than you could possibly imagine. And somebody who just nailed this concept was a guy named Martin Luther. And this is an actual photograph of him back in the 1500s. And uh, this is him. Uh, this, Martin Luther was a, a Catholic monk, amazing guy. He loved, he loved Catholicism. He loved, um, he loved Jesus and he, and he loved scripture. And one of the things that, that he really was big on was saying, you know what? The more I'm reading this, the more I'm realizing there's things that we're not really teaching out of this book. What if we had this in, in the language of everyone so that they could read it and have the Holy Spirit break their heart and change their lives as well? And that didn't go over super well with the, the higher-ups within the church. And that and a bunch of other things that he said got him in trouble and ultimately kicked out. But he never wanted to get kicked out of Catholicism. He wanted to just reform it. And the thing that he wanted to also reform is this idea that our, our lives are you know, when we realize that Scripture is our authority and we realize that God is our leader, that means that we need to start acting differently than we've acted historically within the church. And he could speak it from experience because he was a monk. He says, this is the deal. When I tell people I'm a monk, they realize, oh, you're a man of the cloth. You're a holy man. You have a, a sacred calling. He said, that's junk. That's the dumbest thing we could possibly say. Because to say that because I'm a monk, I have a sacred calling, and this dude over here that's a farmer has a menial calling, or well, yeah, I guess that's just what you have to do. That's not in God's kingdom. That's not, that doesn't make sense in, in, God's, in God's accounting. It doesn't work. And the thing that really brought him to that attention was Psalm 147. And in Psalm 147, it says this about God. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. And Luther's like, when? When did he do that? I didn't see God do that. When did God strengthen the bars of my gate? When did he, when did he bless the people or bring me the finest wheat? I don't remember that happening. I I, I've never seen that happen. I'm a monk. I've never seen that happen. And he said, when did God do this? And this was his response. How does God strengthen the bars of the gates? Through good architects, city planners, and politicians who pass good laws. How does he bless the people? Through good teachers and pediatricians and doctors. How does he grant peace to our borders? Through good lawyers and good police. How does he satisfy us with the finest of wheat? By farmers and factory workers and restaurant owners. Luther's point is that God uses humans to accomplish his will. The people who do the simplest jobs are actually the fingertips of God. That, that, that if you traded places with me vocationally, you would not be doing more holy work or ministry. When you're in your job, and we're going to talk about the message, the message of our mission that's coming up, but the location of our mission is imperative for us to understand that we are where God wants us to be as ambassadors of him. That when you do your job, whether it's a student or a cement worker, or a stay-at-home parent, when you do your job, you do, when you do it well, you're, doing, you're blessing the people in your arena of influence, and you are the fingerprints of God. How does God bless people? Through you. How does God bless people in, your, in, your, in our community? Through the people in this church and the other people who are actually fleshing that out. Even in people who aren't believers, God is actually working through people to make an impact and he's empowering them and making that, that happen. So if you're a Christian farmer, what does that mean? You're a Christian farmer. Does it mean that you have a tractor and you just slap like a fish on the back? And you're like, Christian farmer. No, it means that you do your job to the best of your ability to bring food to the people in this community. 
If you're a Christian teacher, does that mean you're like, okay, we're going to get like the Bible and we're going to preach like, we're going to like get, man, it, every day, Monday through Friday in our public school, we're going to be preaching the gospel. Before you even exhibit the gospel, you're, you are an ambassador of God as someone who is a good teacher. You care about those kids. You have a perspective from God that gives you the ability to impact them on a level that you couldn't otherwise. And you aim to be the best teacher you possibly can. If you're a Christian airline pilot, what does that mean? Land the plane. Make sure it gets to the ground and, and do your job. Because when we do these things, we realize that we, and we do our job well, we're doing it well because it's important and you are useful. In the book of Colossians, Paul says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything that we do is not, we're not just punching in. And if you, if you currently are just punching in in your job or, or thinking, you know what, it's just a means to an end. I'm just like, you know what, it's not my passion. I don't really care about it. Um, or if you're in a part-time job, you're a high school student or a college student, you're like, I don't care about this place. I'm just like trying, I'm here for the paycheck so I can do stuff with my friends. No. Right now, a pin has been dropped. Whether you work at the mall or McDonald's, you have a calling there to do your job the best you can so you could be the finger, fingertips of God to the people you work for and with and to. In other words, just to kind of sum up the first two points, God rescues us from believing that our self-worth comes from our job and that our job itself is worthless. God saves us from thinking that we're hardwired into my job as my ultimate identity. It's not. Christ is. But God also rescues us from thinking, well, my job is just pointless because it's not even a big deal. I mean, it's just like a part-time job. It's just a job I need to, to pay the bills. No, it's in, more valuable than you could possibly imagine. And you in it are far more useful than you're giving yourself credit for because God wants to do something through you. Finally, we're able to do what, uh, if we're going to flesh this out, if we're going to pull this off, we need to do what we are good at to make the most impact for God here and out there. Your job, your place, where you live are no longer a means to an end, but rather connected to a greater story and a more important mission than any retirement plan or paycheck or 401k. You need to do what you're good at. And if you're currently not doing what you're good at, try to find something that you can do that you're good at. God, before the, the creation of the world, has knew that he was going to implant you with certain skills, passions, and abilities. And when you do what you're good at, even if it's like something you're not super excited about, but you're good at it, when you do what you're good at better than others around you and you do it the best of your ability, you are, you are given a platform that you would not have otherwise. When you do your job well, you have an ability to be in environments and board meetings and face-to-face and, and -face opportunities that I will never have as a pastor. And they wouldn't listen to me even if I could get there. You have a platform that is accomplished through your work, through your vocation. And if you're like, well, I'm, a reti I'm retired, you have been placed in a community next door to people where you have an availability of time to make an impact. Well, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. You now have the ability to not only shape your kids, but also shape other people in the network of people that are staying at home. You need to do whatever it is that you're doing, your role to the best of your abilities for the platform to make as much impact as you can for God. Ephesians says this, Paul puts it this way, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. 
We're, we're, we're built and designed to do it, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's teaching the Bible, and that's, that's no, you know, being able to communicate about our faith. That's all, for sure, that's all that there too. But that, it's more expansive and more holistic than that. This impacts how we do everyday life. And so just in closing here, here's a couple of practical ways that we could actually flesh this out here and out there. First off here, I want to challenge you with the fact that if you're someone, one of the steps that we encourage people to do, once people are faithfully like gathering at church and, and they're plugging into face-to-face opportunities with other people to say, what has God gifted me with passion-wise, availability-wise, or skill-wise within the local church that I could do? What could I do around here? And I want to challenge you, whether it's on the weekends or during the week, for you to actually step up and step in, to sacrifice part of your week to actually serve. Whether it's um, serving coffee or ushering or, or whatever, you know, changing light bulbs or, or, or working with Echo. You know what? And Echo at, on Saturday night at 9.30 and 11 o'clock, we need people in there. We need adults. We need, we need uh, men. We really need men. Are you a teacher? Are you someone who's been a coach? Do you not hate children? <laughs> These are great qualities. Because there's some people in here who really hate children. But if you don't and you love Jesus, you need to be talking to Pastor Josh and saying, can I step in here? I'll go to the 9.30 service and I'll, I'll serve at the 11 o'clock service or, or vice versa. Or I'll go, I'll serve at uh, Saturday service and I'll come to the, whatever. But what if you actually stepped in? It was so cool. At the 8 a.m. service, um, when I was asking vocations, Bonnie Urbanic raised her hand and she says, echo teacher. Because that's her vocation. She's, she's retired. She's a retired teacher. But she serves faithfully my kids every single week. I love that part of her calling. It's part of what God's put her on planet earth for. So step in. Um, we, um, Allie Selk um, is consistently providing endeavor opportunities to help us, not just people who come and spectate, but actually say, God has dropped a pin in our community with this church, lots of pins, and we need to help our community flourish, and we need to be a blessing to our community. And that means that we, we see needs and we meet them. We step into them in the name of Jesus. That's, that's just who he is, and so that's who we are. Um, and so whenever you see any endeavor opportunities in the program or an opportunity to donate to real-life needs out there at the entranceway, step up, step into that, and watch as God uses you to do what you've been gifted with or you've been blessed with to actually pull off. And around NBC's campus, um, Coming up in April, we're going to have a work day because over the course of time, when you have thousands of people going through a building, um, holes happen. Um, and sometimes they're from the staff, but, but the holes happen. And the thing about the staff is they're wonderful people, but they stink at lots of that type of work to help things actually go from broken to fixed. And so if you're someone who actually is gifted with the ability, whether it's landscape-wise or structural-wise, to do something, or maybe you're retired and you've got like more time on your hands, but you've got skill, I want to challenge you to step in and say, how could I step in and help around here and make that happen? Um, that's here. But out there, out there, out in the world, I want to challenge you to recommit yourself to look at your vocation, whether it's a stay-at-home parent or it's a teacher or it's an engineer or whatever it is that you do, to recommit yourself to the vision that God has planted me here on purpose. I'm no longer just looking at this as a paycheck. I'm no longer just looking at school as a means to an end. I just can't stand, I, I can't wait to graduate. That actually, in the, in the sovereignty of God, he may have planted you at the school, at the place of work 
on purpose and to think yourself, look at yourself as in that place for a reason. I want to challenge you to consider um, even, actually, let's go back to that. Um, just as far as being missional. Oh, will it happen? Oh, yes, okay. Uh, missional transfer. Um, some of your workplaces transfer people, like they promote you, and sometimes there's an opportunity to be promoted out of state. And you might have passed up some of those opportunities because you're like, well, this is my home. I, I grew up in this community, or I love this community, or this is where my church is. And I want you here. I want to keep you here. Selfishly, I want, your, I want you here. Here. But God may not. God may call you someplace else. And I want to challenge you, the next time a promotion comes up, to pray about that. And say, God, this promotion is to this other state. Do you want me to take this? Not just because of the paycheck, not just because of the perks, but have you called me to, some, uh, to a place to actually have a platform or have more influence and the ability to impact more people there? And, if, and, if, and God may say, no, I don't want you to take that. I want you to stay here. And if that's the, hap- that's the way it goes, praise God, boom. But if God wants you to go, go. I want you as a church to also start praying about us as a church. Because one of the things that we see is that there's people coming from lots of different directions to come to Manuka Bible Church. And then from a lot of places that aren't really represented with, with churches right there in those communities. In the next couple of years, God, I believe God really wants us to consider how we can actually send some people to communities that aren't represented, where there isn't a whole lot of light, forgotten communities, where there could be a church, a representation of what God's doing here, but there. And we're going to be praying through that as well. I want to encourage you. How many of you are 18 years old or younger? Let's go ahead and raise your hand if you're 18 or younger. Okay. All right. I want you guys to not do what everyone else has done in this room. All the rest of us got into jobs. Um, a lot of us got into jobs in here just because of the paycheck or, or whatever. Uh, this was going to have the best perks. Um, this is what my dad did and it provided for the family. Paychecks and, and, and perks are, aren't bad. They're not bad, but they're not good motivations. And they're not, they actually cloud your ability to hear the mission of God for you. I want to challenge you. I really want to challenge every single person in here that's south of going to college, or even if you're in college right now, to reconsider your education. I want to challenge you to think about what it is that you're good at. What is it that you are passionate about? And if you don't know what you're good at or passionate about, ask someone and they'll tell you. They, they, they know you maybe better than you. But figure out what it is that you're good at and passionate about and say, how do I pour my education into that so that I can do that to give me the best platform to glorify God? Because if I'm doing what I'm really gifted at, and it may not be the paycheck that I would go if I just did something else, but if I'm doing what I'm actually gifted at and actually passionate about, I could possibly do that and have the best platform for God. And that's not saying that that's church work. I'm saying that that might be being an engineer. You might be awesome at math, and that's the thing that God has called you to do, to be the best engineer for his glory and to be his fingerprints on the community that he ultimately plans and plants you in. It might be being a police officer. I don't know. But whatever it is, pour your education, your focus. It may be being in the trade. Like, and, and so if it's carpentry, you're going to pour yourself into being the best carpenter by positioning yourself with people who could train you how to do that to the best of your ability. Focus your energy and your education on doing what's going to position you best for kingdom work. 
When I was uh, finishing up the study, I just wrote this out because this just kind of was where it was landing for me. Your skill and experience weren't what got you hired. God's mission did. There's something bigger here than mere resume. You've been placed with a purpose. You are placed with a purpose on purpose by God. Your workplace, your home, your relationships. This is your calling. Are you living out your calling? Are you seeing it as ministry? That God has planted you there for a reason, to help it flourish, to make it better, to protect it. You know, I had Ryan Coleman, he's out there uh, selling t-shirts. I had him plot all of the homes of all the addresses of people that come to Minooka Bible Church on a Google map. And um, the thing that was so cool when I saw it was that when I looked at this map and we see all these different houses, it was pretty cool. We were kind of blown away with what we saw. We saw neighborhoods, communities, subdivisions, and farmland populated with those who are turning to Christ, those who look to Christ as their Savior, people whose identity is rooted in Him, and people who have vocations, teaching kids, teaching other people's kids, standing in line at Aldi and Walmart and cheering on kids' sports or coaching sports all around this area. And when you look at this whole area, when you just kind of like scope back, and you see all the people that are represented by those just in Minooka Bible Church, you look at us and you're like, we look like chicken pox. <laughs> but the cool thing about that is that um, when I look at this map, honestly, I'm looking at all the beige area in between. And all the people who don't know Jesus in our neighborhoods that we live next door to, or who are in the classrooms that we teach, who are sitting next to us on the bleacher at the kids' sports game, or standing in line right in front of us at Aldi. And I realize that's a huge weight for one person to take on themselves, but God never intended it to be that. When you look at all of these people, what if all of these homes, every single one of these places, that the people who lived in those homes actually looked at those families, those spouse relationships, the relationships to parents and the kids were callings. What would happen if that kind of divine health came into each one of those homes? And when those people on Monday morning left their house and went to the workplaces that fill up all of the beige area, what if those places all of a sudden were filled with people who looked at their work as a calling? What would happen? What would happen if we actually did all that without grumbling or complaining? You know what would happen? Paul tells us, when we engage each other through the lens of what Jesus did for us, we do so without grumbling and complaining. Something takes place in our life. We start looking different. We start looking like stars in the darkness. We are a constellation that aren't shining our own light. We're shining the light of his grace and his transformative power to the darkness around us. And when people are pinpointing who we are, they're seeing Christ. And church, that's not one of those little points, job. It's all of our jobs. We are, in fact, a people that are better together. When you drive out of um, our driveway here and you're heading towards Wabina, there's a sign. Have you seen it? You may have forgotten it or you may drive just, but you're going 55 as you're going out, so you're not even seeing it. 
But there's a sign on, just to your right as you're leaving the parking lot that says, and now, off to be real in the world. Our mission is not ended at the end of a church service. Our mission continues. A mission to go and be real in the world that we live in, in our homes, in our workplaces, to recognize that the vocation, our calling is this location right now, and we need to be faithful. Faithful to his calling for us, amen? Each month, we remind ourselves that when it comes to work, the greatest work isn't even the work that we do at our job. The greatest work isn't the work that we do in our marriages and in our families. The greatest work is the work that Christ did for us. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminding ourselves of the fact that his work for us is sufficient. His grace is enough to cover over our sin, to make us whole, and that his intention is to send us out. Right now, what I want to challenge you is, or invite you is this. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, who's, you've been redeemed by his blood, this table is for you, even if you're a visitor here. Our church tradition is to exit our rows on the left-hand side and go around a table that's in the back or in the front, whatever's closest to you, to take the bread and the cup representing his body and his blood, and taking it back to our rows on the right-hand side and sitting and contemplating evaluating, worshiping. Where are you right now with Christ? And this month, what I would like you to do is this, in recognition of his body and his blood, in remembrance of him before we take it, in those moments where you just have some time just between you and him, thank him for making it his work and his mission to rescue you. But then ask the question, who else? Who else is this for? Who else in my world, in my neighborhood, in my workplace? Who else, who else needs this, Jesus? Who else needs this forgiveness, this redemption? And then in just a few moments, we'll take the elements together. Go ahead and do that now.
You know, when we come to communion, when we come to the Lord's table, we're not bringing anything to God in this. This is us receiving from him. This is us receiving his presence and his assurance and the clarity of what he's accomplished. It's such a good time for us as a church to recognize his work in us and um, to come to the point of just celebrating that as we remember him. One of the things that um, the author of Hebrews does that you see all throughout scripture is have the unflinching, unapologetic, stark view of our condition, of our sin and our brokenness, and the amazingly joy-filled assurance of God's grace that meets us there. He says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's frightening. That's scary. But that's not where he ends it. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. If you're in Christ, you possess a faith which says that in the midst of my sin, Christ gave me his righteousness. He gave it to me as a free gift, something I couldn't earn, but it cost him. And when we take communion, we're reminded that it cost him his body. He gave his body for you and for me. Take this, the bread, representing his body in remembrance of him. When we talk about the holiness of God, it's not hard to get the picture that we have no hope of proximity to him. I mean, he might forgive us, but is that it? But the author of Hebrews continues and assures us the opposite. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's grace meets our need head on, face to face, and it overwhelms it. Whatever your need is, he is the absolute and ultimate solution to it. And he meets you right now in this need. And we recall what it cost for our ability to approach the throne of grace with confidence, and that is his blood. The cup represents his blood. Take this in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your sacrifice. We give you thanks for your mission. The mission and your work that called you to leave your heavenly throne, Lord. Through the incarnation, God becoming man to step into our streets, to walk through our brokenness and ultimately give your life for us and to rise again, giving us the confidence that in 2017, your connection to us is not only still valid, but it's still vibrant. And it pours out of this building and impacts each and every one of our workplaces, each one of our schools, our vocations, our callings. 
Lord, help us, a people, recognize the purposeful, strategic, and intentionality that you have for the mission you've put before us. And we'll give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.